Welcome to NTD Evening News. Our top story tonight, an explosion on Rainbow Bridge in Niagara Falls. Two people are dead, crashing a car into a security checkpoint at high speeds. Now, multiple checkpoints are closed at the U.S.-Canada border. Melina Weiskup standing by. Israel vowing to resume fighting in full force immediately after the temporary ceasefire. Family members have their hopes set on their loved ones being released from captivity during the pause in fighting. Jason Perry reports. Dozens of lawmakers have already decided to step down during the next election. Many say they're frustrated. Arian Pastar takes a closer look at the situation on the Hill. Trillions of American phone records easily accessible to the government. Senator Ron Wyden is on a quest to expose this program. This is NTD Evening News. Live from our NTD Global Headquarters in New York City, here is Tiffany Meyer. Good evening and thank you for joining us tonight. Breaking today, an explosion on Rainbow Bridge at the U.S.-Canada border. Reports indicate that two have been left dead and one injured. Multiple border entries in western New York and Canada are now closed as local and federal law enforcement officials investigate. New York Governor Kathy Hochul has just briefed the public and NTD's Melina Weiskub has been standing by for us on this story. Melina, what did the governor just say? Yeah, Tiff, so she just made it to Buffalo, New York, just moments ago where that incident took place, and she did brief the public on this, and she was really trying to calm everybody, saying that there are actually no indications that this was terrorist-related as the FBI continues their investigation at this point. As a matter of fact, she did say that one of the people involved in this incident was actually from New York. He was a New Yorker. So uh, we'll show you exactly what the governor had to say, but she did want to note that this is also uh, still open for investigation, but she does want to make clear that at this point in time there are no indications of terrorist related activity. Take a look at what the governor said. At a time when there's such high anxiety, stress levels are already high and we've been on heightened alert since October 7th. But based on the preliminary investigation, no sign of terrorist involvement in the horrific explosion that occurred here in western New York. Now, as for what exactly happened here, Tiff, well, earlier today around noontime, there was a car that was traveling from the United States over to the Canada side of the border, and it actually was traveling at an extremely high speed. It went airborne at one point in time and then crashed into a security checkpoint, and then it exploded, like you mentioned, that killed both the driver and the passenger, as well as uh, causing injuries to a border patrol officer that was there. Now, the FBI says that they're still working on this investigation. Investigation. However, we do know what the governor just said about this not being terrorist related. Of course, she did still leave that door open for the possibility as their investigation continues because during ongoing investigations, there's no telling what kind of details could come out uh, a bit later. Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau did comment on it because they are, of course, heavily involved here this taking place on the U.S.-Canada border. Here's what Trudeau had to say, saying that he's working with the U.S. in monitoring the situation. I've been briefed by the NSIA and the Minister of Public Safety, uh, CBSA, RCMP and Transport Canada are all fully engaged in providing the necessary support. There are a lot of questions and we are following up to try and get as many answers as rapidly as possible. Uh, we are in close contact with U.S. officials and will continue to work closely. 
Now, the White House also says that President Biden has been briefed on the details of the issue and they're continuing to monitor uh, the situation as more details unfold here. As for the Buffalo International Airport, there are heightened security measures going on at that airport right now and they're advising travelers to take extra time to get to the airport because they are checking every car essentially to see if there are bombs. There was a brief pause in flights where those flights were grounded for a few hours, but all those flights have since uh, continued and they're continuing their normal operations outside of those heightened security measures. Tiff? Melina, thank you for that update. The war between Israel and Hamas has taken a much anticipated yet unprecedented turn, a temporary ceasefire. Family members of hostages are eagerly waiting to see if their loved ones will be released. NTD's Jason Perry has the details. After seven weeks of fighting and thousands of people killed, Israel and the Hamas terrorist group have agreed to a temporary ceasefire. And the ceasefire is set to begin on Thursday and will last for at least four days, during which 50 hostages in Hamas captivity are set to be released in exchange for 150 Palestinian prisoners in Israeli captivity. The temporary ceasefire will also allow for more trucks carrying humanitarian aid to enter the Gaza Strip. The four-day truce was mediated by Qatar's Minister of State, Mohammed Al-Khulafi. He explained the details on CNN. Within the four days uh, pause, uh, in each day, there will be an obligation in each side, an obligation on the Israelis and an obligation on Hamas, making sure that they're going to fulfill those obligations in each day. So in each day, we aim to have a number of releases uh, because the number is big. So we try, the, we've managed to get uh, the parties to agree on the releases uh, systematically. In other words, there will be an organized schedule allowing the releases in each day, and each party is quite familiar now with their obligations. He said a minimum of 10 hostages will be released each day, focusing on the release of women and children. According to Egypt state-run media, the ceasefire is set to begin at 10 a.m. local time on Thursday. However, Israel Defense Forces spokesperson Daniel Hagari said this. We don't know when the ceasefire will start. We will be prepared to do everything that's required. At the moment, we are focusing on the war. What we did today is to expose Hamas tunnels and destroy them. Meanwhile, family members of the hostages are torn, waiting to know if their loved ones will be released. I want everybody back, but I think, and it's a very tough decision, but I think the children and women must be their most fragile, you know, they need to get out. This gentleman here has seven missing family members. Nobody can imagine how we feel, okay? Imagine that you, you kid, instead sleep in the bed with blanket and it, it's underground, deep, it's deep tunnels, uh, three years old, uh, my girl, uh, my girl, uh, grand, granddaughter, there is a baby, 11 months, uh, uh, that start, need to start to work. And some Palestinians aren't so hopeful about the ceasefire. We want a complete ceasefire and a halt to all the crimes. We just want one night to sleep peacefully. Just one night. It's either a complete ceasefire or nothing at all. Meanwhile, Israel said the four-day ceasefire could be extended if more hostages were released. Jason Perry, NCD News.
And this just in Israel's national security advisors that the hostages will not be released before Friday. The Biden administration hailing the latest hostage deal as President Biden vows to bring back more Americans held by Hamas. Entity's Iris Tao has more from the White House. This hostage deal comes after weeks of intense negotiations involving not just Israel and Hamas, but also the U.S., Qatar and Egypt. The White House says that President Biden has been personally engaged throughout this entire process almost hour by hour. And Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in a video address today thanked President Biden for that. Meanwhile, President Biden in a statement says he's extraordinarily gratified that some hostages will be finally reunited with their families. Among the ones to be free, there are three Americans, including two women and a toddler who's turning four this Friday. The White House, meanwhile, says remains very urgent to secure the release of any remaining American hostages. Watch. Uh, we do not have proof of life uh, for all of the hostages. Certainly, we know that there have been some uh, who have been uh, found uh, by the IDF uh, who have been killed uh, tragically during the course of this. And that's what underscores uh, the imperative of getting all of these people out of Gaza as soon as possible. And President Biden says he will not stop until all American hostages are freed. And the White House says it has to keep monitoring the situation very closely, including how this deal is actually carried out, as none of this is actually done until people get out of Gaza through his border. Back to you. Yet another win for former President Trump in a major poll. Trump's presidential campaign has been a success so far. Congress, meanwhile, is a bit less successful. Dozens of lawmakers are resigning, some out of frustration. NTD's Ariane Pastar brings you an election update. Former President Trump is widening his lead over President Biden in a hypothetical 2024 matchup. That's according to the prominent Emerson College poll. In November last year, the poll found that Biden was leading over Trump with 45 to 41 percent. A month ago, Trump was leading with 47 to 45 percent. Now, Trump's lead increased by two points to 47 to 43 percent. Biden took a big hit in support among minorities, losing a total of 26 percentage points over the last year. Meanwhile at Congress, California Representative Anna Eshoo this week announced that she's stepping down after three decades. So far, over 30 lawmakers this year announced that they're not seeking re-election. This comes after two exhausting House Speaker races, two near-government shutdowns, and multiple attempts to impeach, censor, or expel officials. And all that while Congress is still in its first session. Various lawmakers are disappointed with the way things are going on the Hill. Representative Earl Blumenauer, who has been in Congress for over 25 years, told Punchbowl News, it's insane and it adds no value to my life. The things I care about, I can do better, not here. Now over to local elections. In South Carolina, the city of Charleston voted for a Republican mayor for the first time since 1877. That's almost 150 years. Former South Carolina GOP representative William Coxwell won the race on Tuesday. And in New York, former Governor Andrew Cuomo is reportedly considering running for mayor of New York City. That's according to Politico, which says that Cuomo might run if current mayor Eric Adams resigns or decides not to run for re-election. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. Trillions of phone records openly accessible to law enforcement, even without a warrant. Senator Ron Wyden is on a quest to expose the program and demand answers. NTD's Arlene Richards has more. 
Senator Ron Wyden is on a mission to expose the Hemisphere program. The program allows trillions of American phone records to be tracked by law enforcement. The records can include the phone numbers, dates, times, durations, and locations of the calls and texts, as well as the amount and type of data transferred. People can use it to see where you go, who you talk to, and how often you talk to them. The records don't include the content of calls and text messages. A deal between the White House and AT&T has made this possible for the past decade. Records show the White House has given the program over $6 million. In Senator Wyden's investigation, he found that law enforcement officials referred to the program as AT&T's super search engine and Google on steroids. He found it can identify someone's alternate numbers as well as phone records of everyone that person talked to. The outrage should come from the fact that most Americans don't realize that when they sign up and they agree to the terms of these um, cell phone providers that they're agreeing to this level of surveillance. Brian Horning is the CEO of Exact IT Solutions. He's concerned the data may fall into the wrong hands. Our government may not be in control of that data at one point in the future. It could That could happen through a cyber attack or that could happen through lots of other ways. Use your imagination, right? But that data does exist and it needs to be protected. The data can be pieced together to form a profile of a person all without a warrant, which Senator Wyden believes may be an illegal invasion of privacy. Wyden wrote a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland asking him to make information on the program public. He says what he's discovered so far would outrage many Americans and other members of Congress. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Today marks 60 years since President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. On November 22, 1963, President Kennedy was in a convertible limousine heading to a sold-out luncheon in Dallas. Shots were fired from a sixth-floor window. Kennedy was shot twice. The FBI later found Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone in the shooting. In June of this year, the National Archives concluded its review of the classified documents related to the assassination, and the records are now available to the public. Coming up, Macy's new diversity policy may not be what you think. A group says it's a disguise for discrimination. And others are calling for a parade boycott on similar grounds. Find out what it's all about. A local California food drive is giving back to the community for Thanksgiving. We'll hear more on what the holiday means to them. And good news for the holiday, turkey prices are down this year compared to last year. We visit a turkey farm to find out why. More when we return. Welcome back. A legal group says Macy's is hiring based on explicit quotas, including gender identity and race. They want an employment commission to investigate. Meanwhile, a Christian group is boycotting the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Our legal correspondent Arlene Richards has more. America First Legal filed a discrimination complaint against Macy's for what they believe is systemic discrimination against potential employees. In a letter on Tuesday, the group said that Macy's has set explicit racial and other quotas for hiring and similar functions that appear to facially violate federal law. 
For example, it says in 2019, Macy's created a new policy with the goal of increasing ethnic diversity by 30% in upper management jobs. They were looking for top talent of black, African-American, Hispanic, Latina, Native American, and Asian descent, and a 50% representation of gender, gender identity, ethnicity, age, and size. The letter says these commitments were reinforced in a 2022 Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion annual report, where the company vows to embed diversity, equity, and inclusion in all aspects of its operations. The legal group said that individuals must be judged on merit and not on their unique characteristics. They're asking the commission to investigate. Meanwhile, thousands of petitioners are planning to boycott the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Over 41,000 people signed a petition sponsored by Christian group One Million Moms. The group says this year's parade will feature a transgender extravaganza and expose tens of millions of viewers at home to the liberal LGBTQ agenda. The parade is expected to feature two performances from Broadway musicals with key actors who identify as either transgender or non-binary. Petitioners say that Macy's isn't concerned about their children's best interest and that they're not buying what Macy's is selling. Arlene Richards, NTD News. For the Thanksgiving spirit, let's head to California for what locals are grateful for at an annual food drive. NTD's David Lamb has the story. As the nation heads towards the season of giving, let's see what volunteers are doing in the heart of Silicon Valley. What does Thanksgiving mean to you? Trying to give back. I've, I've been blessed in my life and been given a lot of opportunities. And there's a lot of people that don't have enough food for their family or whatever. So whatever I can do to help out. I had my daughter here with me today. Just a, a good feeling to give back. Uh, normally I do about four days a week. Sacred Heart Community Service prepared thousands of boxes running on volunteers. This is the 59th year that we've done our holiday food distribution. It started out this year with the distribution of nearly 4,000 boxes. In fact, we're, we're just we're almost at the end of our three-day distribution period. I think what I'm really thankful for is seeing how many people in our community actually step up to care. Like people that, that sign up to volunteer, people that make donations to organizations and our sister organizations that are helping to make sure families have what they need. That is something that's really inspiring to me. Many recipients are either in financial need or lack essential services. I really wish everyone to be happy forever. And the only things we should always thank God that we are alive, we are together, and we are healthy, and all around are happy. And that is my wish for Thanksgiving for everyone. Sacred Heart aims to spread joy this holiday season, but it needs helping hands to reach their upcoming drive for Christmas, including a toy drive. As you can probably imagine, this is a big undertaking and so we really need the community to come together. To make the operation super successful, we need 4,000 holiday proteins, canned goods and the like, but also a very audacious 18,000 toys to give a holiday, wonderful holiday, happy season. So, According to Sacred Heart, people can drop off items, donate online, or even gift through an Amazon wish list. So that's the 59th food drive tradition for Sacred Heart in San Jose, California. And donors, volunteers, and the staff hope to have many more to come. In San Jose, California, David Lamb, NTD News. 
Lower turkey prices are bringing relief as food inflation is surging overall. NTD's Stephanie Sakol tells us more from a turkey farm. Food inflation has risen with a 2.1% year-over-year increase in October, according to the Consumer Price Index. Despite this, Thanksgiving dinner costs are expected to decrease, mainly to lower turkey prices. Today, we're visiting Poyera La Princesa to check out these turkey prices. The American Farm Bureau Federation reports a 4.5 reduction in the average cost of a dinner for 10 people to $61.17. Survey data indicates lower prices for almost every Thanksgiving menu item, notably an 18% drop in cranberry prices. The key contributor to the cost decrease is the 5.6% drop in the average price of a 16-pound turkey to $27.35. Their price is based on the pound. The pound starts at $2.89, and it depends on how much they weigh. There are two types of turkeys we offer, a white one from a farm which has more hormones compared to the black one raised on a ranch, which is the people's choice because it has more of a rich flavor to it. The average price for a full white turkey is around $40, and a black turkey would come out to approximately $60. Prices have have remained the same and we have not seen an increase compared to what we usually see in other foods. The surplus is attributed to increased turkey production following the avian influenza impact last year, resulting in a loss of 6 to 7 million turkeys. Some grocery stores are cautious in turkey orders due to high inflation, leading to leaner purchases. While farmers anticipate higher revenues, increased costs, especially fed, may result in lower profits. Stephanie Sakal, NTD News, California. Coming up, was the hostage deal fair to Israel and what pressures did it face from a global player? Middle East Affairs analyst joins us to explore. Is Senator Tommy Tuberville being reasonable with his military holds or is he risking national security? A congressional correspondent for the Epic Times shares with us his perspective. And concerns over an undiagnosed pneumonia outbreak reported across China with sick children overwhelming the hospitals. Details on that after the break. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some today's top headlines. A vehicle exploded at the Rainbow Bridge border crossing between New York and Canada, killing two occupants. President Biden has been briefed on the incident and the FBI is investigating. Israel and Hamas will observe a four-day ceasefire beginning Thursday morning. Hamas agreed to release 50 Israeli hostages in exchange for 150 Palestinians held in Israeli prisons. A legal group filed a discrimination complaint against Macy's, saying the company is hiring based on explicit quotas, including gender identity and race. Another group signed a petition boycotting Macy's Thanksgiving parade for featuring transgender performers. Is the hostage deal fair for Israel? What were some of the global pressure that Israel faced? And what can we expect to see following the ceasefire? To take a deeper dive into Israel's hostage deal with Hamas, we have on David Wormser, Middle East Affairs Analyst at the Center for Security Policy. David Wormser, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. It's great to be with you. 
We're hearing reports that Israel and Hamas have reached a hostage deal. Hamas is agreeing to release 50 women and children. This is part of a four-day ceasefire. Israel is also set to release a number of hostages here. How do you read this deal? Is it a fair deal? No, it's not a fair deal in a number of ways. I mean, one is that the numbers, 50 Israeli children, essentially, uh, with their mothers, in exchange for, I've heard anything between 150 uh, terrorists up to three to 400 minors who conducted support activity for terrorism but didn't actually do terrorism. So the numbers are, are not already not fair. The second thing is that the Israelis um, are, are essentially asked to equate a terrorist and the value of a terrorist to the value of a child. Uh, by bartering one for one, three for one, five for one, whatever the actual number is. Uh, but, but it essentially it creates an equivalence. And then the third thing is Israel's negotiating with Hamas, which makes, in Middle Eastern terms, Hamas powerful because the Israelis have to come to terms with it. So here you have a very powerful state that's legitimate in the UN with an army and everything, and it has to negotiate on equal terms with the terrorist organization, and that raises the, the stature of the terrorist organization. So in all those ways, it's an imbalanced deal. But the Israelis, it's kids. It's their kids. And, and they're it's just it's gut-wrenching for them, and, it, and it's heartbreaking. So from their point of view, they'll do anything to get those kids back. Hmm. And how much do you see outside pressure from the U.S., Iran, China even, all these global protests playing into this, especially the ceasefire part? Yeah, the, the global protests actually were a problem for the Israelis in terms of agreeing to the deal, because it looks like the Israelis are giving in to their most vocal opponents, the uh, squad here in the United States, the Antifa crowd, those people who were demonstrating violently were calling for ceasefire now. And now all of a sudden, Israel's sort of giving in on a ceasefire, and that undercuts their friends who, who were arguing for no ceasefire. So in a certain sense, that almost obstructed the release of the hostages, because the Israelis really had to stomach uh, what is a very difficult concession for them on the ceasefire. Uh, but that said, I, I think uh, the, the Israelis uh, had to do it, so, so they went ahead. In Washington, there have been mixed reviews to this hostage deal. Mm -hmm. Former U.S. official John Bolton is saying negotiating with terrorists never works. Where do you see this going following this deal? Yeah, Washington is torn. You mentioned about pressure from Washington. Obviously, the administration wants to do whatever it can to calm things down. It wanted this deal to go forward. It also wants to prove that its ally, Qatar, is an ally rather than an, uh, a handmaiden to uh, Hamas's survival and so forth. So the United States pressured Israel an awful lot to do this deal. Of course, the Israelis internally, because of the hostage, the children, again, that issue. But in the United States, there's a more detached, sober view, which is strategically this deal is very damaging to Israel. It stops a war where they have the enemy on the on the really on the on the run, uh, so it takes the pressure off. It creates the impression of Israeli weakness a bit, uh, and moreover, 
we deal with our hostages in the region too. And every time you give in to hostage takers, the price of getting rid of uh, the, uh, the price of getting our hostages back and getting rid of the hostage takers goes up. We know from a previous hostage deals, whether it's the United States with Iran or Israel with some, one of its soldiers or previous uh, hostage exchanges, it has come back to haunt them very hard. Most of the leadership of Hamas in 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 the West and Gaza, which is doing this war, was in his, were in Israeli prisons and released under a hostage exchange deal, where the is uh, one Israeli soldier was a hostage, and Israel traded a thousand terrorists for them, and many of those terrorists became the leadership of Hamas now. Mm. And now Israel has vowed to continue quote complete annihilation of Hamas after the ceasefire is over. What can we expect to see from Hamas during this time? Are they going to regroup? Yes, they're definitely going to regroup. They've also gotten humanitarian concessions, gas, oil. They don't need that for the population. They need that to keep their tunnels going because their tunnels need air, air compressors need oil, gas, et cetera. So you will see them regroup. You will see them reconstitute, set up communications lines probably some degree of resupply. They will use some of the humanitarian stuff to rebuild their military. They always do, whether it's pipes for water made into missile fuselages or whatever. And then finally, diplomatically, they will go on the offensive to try to make the ceasefire permanent. But at the same time, they'll play games. They won't release all the hostages. They'll release dead bodies instead of hostages. They'll say, we can't find these host these kids. We'll give you this guy who's an old person, or not that their lives are less valuable, but 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 still, it's it's playing games. They will be cruel, and they will play a psychological warfare with it. And then when it gets toward the end, they will probably want to get the first shot in in resumption of hostilities. So that could... It, Previous ceasefires have been used by Hamas to kidnap Israeli soldiers. So one could expect that as well. And what about the broader geopolitical implications here? How do you see China, Iran, these other countries viewing this deal? Iran is trying to portray it as Israeli weakness, and it is to some extent. Uh, in, in geopolitical terms, it's, it is Israel's vulnerable to this, this blackmail, essentially. But at the same time, it's what makes Israeli society so cohesive and gives them the morale to really fight hard. So I think Iran's underestimating that. China and Russia are now fully aligning behind Iran and participating in a lot of the psychological warfare against Israel at this point, as well as some warfare. I mean, uh, most likely cyber warfare and things like that. So we really are now dealing with a geopolitical bloc, and they have a vested interest in not only Israel looking weak and limping, but the United States being wounded by that, the, limp, the Israel looking weak to destroy any hope that other nations in the region will form a, a strategic bloc with Israel, which they were, by the way, and are still forming, and the United States then being able to base its regional strategy and security on that block. So that's what really the strategic game is here. Quite concerning. Well, David Wormser, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Thanks. 
Democrats in the Biden administration continue to pound Senator Tommy Tuberville over his military holds. Are his actions reasonable and what are the problems facing the U.S. military at the moment? Joining us now to discuss, we have Mark Tapscott, a congressional correspondent for the Epic Times. Mark Tapscott, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. My pleasure. I want to zoom in on a piece you recently wrote. It's titled, Senator Tuberville's Military Holds Spark Radical Counter Move. Tell us about that. What is the counter move here? The counter move is being mounted by uh, a number of Democrats in the Senate, led by uh, Senator Jack Reed, who is the chairman of the Armed Services Committee. They are looking for a way to get around the fact that Senator Tuberville, since February of this year, has placed what is known in the Senate as a, an individual senator's hold on uh, almost 400 uh, of President Biden's nominations for promotions in the military, um, the Air Force, the Navy, the Army, um, as well as um, nominations for um, uh, new positions. The fact that the senator puts the hold on them means, according to Senate rules as they stand now, that the Senate can't vote on whether or not to uh, approve those nominations. That's very frustrating for the uh, majority, the Senate Democratic majority, because a number of these nominations by President Biden uh, involve generals and admirals um, of some colonels as well who are being promoted to, to generals who have very, very left-wing, woke, if you will, progressive uh, views about things. And this is part of uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin's um, long-running move to um, make woke social policies um, dominant within the Department of Defense. Critics, of course, say the purpose of the Department of Defense is to defend the United States' national security and not uh, to uh, be a woke haven, if you will, for progressive social policies. So this, this has stirred up a great deal of controversy, and it's far from over. And expanding on that, Senator Tuberville has also come under fire from some of his GOP colleagues and also President Biden, who said, quote, in this moment of rapidly changing security environments, Senator Tuberville is risking our ability to remain the greatest fighting force in the world. Is Tuberville being truly unreasonable here, or should he stand his ground as some of his supporters, like former President Trump, is saying? The reason... Uh, Senator Tuberville put his holes on those nominations in the first place is because a few months prior to those nominations, the Secretary of Defense announced that the Pentagon would begin paying travel expenses for uh, women in the military service who had to travel to a different state from where they were stationed in order to obtain an abortion. That flies directly in the face of long-standing federal law that no federal tax dollars can be used to fund or pay for uh, abortions. And Senator Tuberville told Secretary Austin beforehand, you know, look, what you're proposing to do here is against the law, and if you proceed with it, I'm going to put a hold on all of your nominations. Well, 
Secretary Austin proceeded with it, and Tuberville, true to his word, uh, put the holes on it. Now, since February, when he first put those holes on, he has repeatedly tried to get uh, Austin to uh, sit down and talk about a possible compromise. And Austin has refused to do it. And what we have therefore had is this long-running um, um, situation where the Senate can't act and Senator Tuberville is being portrayed, I think, uh, inaccurately uh, as being the bad guy because he thinks, you know, the Department of Defense should be required to observe the law that says federal tax dollars can't be used to pay for abortions. So that's that's the basic issue here. On that note, in the U.S. under the Constitution, there are checks and balances. Now, you mentioned the Reed resolution in your article. How is that potentially blurring these checks and balances? Is one sector becoming too powerful? Well, what it does is, and it's it's a it's a basically a change to the standing order rules uh, of the Senate, which, as they stand now, any individual senator can put a hold on uh, any nomination submitted by the president. The Reid resolution would change that to allow the Senate to basically ignore uh, an individual senator's hold and go ahead and consider in mass a number of the nominations um, together as a group. What that does is most immediately it prevents uh, individual senators who have something to say about the quality of the nominees, it prevents them from being able to express that. Uh, and it also uh, prevents each individual senator from having to vote, go on the record uh, and vote on each particular individual nomination. The big thing that critics are, are worried about, and this, this was uh, part of the focus of my story, is it takes more from the Senate's ability and its traditional position as intended by the founders who wrote the Constitution to be a check on hasty actions by the House. And part of the way that uh, traditionally the Senate has done that is by making certain that every senator has the opportunity uh, to make himself or herself heard. Holes are one of the tools that they have to do that. So if Reed's resolution is approved by a simple majority of the House or of the Senate, and it probably will be because there are Republicans who will support it, um, then the individual senatorial hold will become uh, basically gutted uh, and a thing of the past. And the Senate then will no longer be uh, as one uh, historic, historic historian has put it, the Senate will no longer be the saucer where hot action from the House comes to cool off. It won't be that way anymore. And given all that you have highlighted, how do you view our current military preparedness, especially as we see conflicts unfolding into theaters right now? You know, it's it's one of the things that has most uh, distinguished, and I don't mean that in a positive way, uh, but distinguished the Biden era has been the inability of the Department of Defense 
to meet its recruiting goals each year. And this this is this began the first year when President Biden was in office, and it's gotten progressively more serious each year. Um, and it's gotten so bad that even uh, just this past week, the Pentagon relented on uh, kicking out soldiers and airmen and Navy men, sailors who declined to take the COVID vaccination and, and basically kicked them out with dishonorable discharges. Well, now the Pentagon is begging them, please come back because we need you and we'll, we'll you know, take that dishonorable discharge off your record if you come back. They're not getting a very positive response, by the way. Uh, the numbers that I have seen are very, very few of those who were kicked out are coming back. A lot at stake here. Mark Tapscott, thank you so much for your time. Yes, indeed, Tiffany. My pleasure. A wave of mystery pneumonia is breaking out in China, affecting mostly children and overwhelming Chinese hospitals. Doctors there tell us the disease can be traced back to some combined pathogens like COVID-19, the flu and mycoplasma pneumonia. Parents say the symptoms are usually severe. This time, the child had a high fever repeatedly, which never went down. This is too scary. A former Chinese reporter posted a conversation in a group chat indicating that a child died on the new pneumonia. The wave hit the area around Beijing, but also Dalian, a city almost 500 miles from Beijing. Hospitals are overwhelmed with sick children. Hospital staff from Tianjin City told us some children have to wait days to be treated. Parents start scrambling several days in advance to get the numbers. We only have so many doctors and we can only handle so many people every day. So we give out a certain amount of numbers every day. You can book in advance, but you have to be able to grab one first because a huge number of children are getting sick. This wave started a month ago and it's getting worse recently. Parents told us some schools suspended classes as both teachers and students are sick. They said the authorities are trying to block information from circulating online. For a more in-depth report on this outbreak featuring interviews with parents of the sick children, be sure to tune in to China in Focus tonight at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time right here on NTD News. Coming up in the NFL, why do Detroit and Dallas always host Thanksgiving games? NTD's Dave Martin will join us in the studio to discuss when we return. Welcome back. And now for your sports news, we're joined by NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, plenty of sports happening. Let's start with college football. Now, the latest playoff rankings just came out last night, but these aren't the final ones. So how important are these rankings? Well, they really aren't. I mean, the only the final ones are, and that's not for a couple of weeks. Now, when this playoff was introduced like uh, 10 years ago, the committee said they would release their rankings on a weekly basis like six weeks prior to the end of the season. But they've proven to be, you know, very fickle. You know, they did this for it so that teams knew kind of where they stood. But for this week, for instance, Washington was moved ahead of Florida State, despite both of them being undefeated. So I really think that all these pre-rankings really do is just kind of generate more headlines and interest for the sport. 
Now, elsewhere in the sport, James Madison University has announced they will no longer pursue legal actions against the NCAA in their attempt to play in the bowl game. Do we know why they're suddenly dropping their suit? You know, they didn't completely say so, but the decision was made Saturday right after they lost to end their perfect season. They're now 10-1, and one, and the odds of them getting a prestigious New Year's Bowl have been greatly dropped. So I would think that's the reason. Now, just to review, this is their second season of FBS football after transitioning from FCS. In those instances, the NCAA makes you wait two years to become bowl eligible. Now, the NCAA could actually still allow them to play in a bowl game if there aren't enough teams that have the mandatory six wins needed to qualify, and there aren't. I think there's like 12 spots left. So there's still that possibility for them. Now, switching to the NFL, tomorrow both Dallas and Detroit will host games again. This is part of the league's triple header. Mm. Now, why does the NFL always have these two teams for Thanksgiving? Uh, really just tradition. I mean, Dallas was the first team to do this. This is like back in the 1930s. They've been doing it every year since. De I'm sorry, Detroit. Dallas then joined in the 1960s. Now, Dallas is known really as America's team, mostly for their success on the field, but also, I think, for their Thanksgiving exposure. Now, Detroit, they have not had the same kind of success on the field. There was actually talk of removing them from this game. I doubt the NFL would ever do that. Instead, they introduced a third game so that other teams could kind of join in on a rotating basis. This year, they also have a fourth game on Black Friday, so plenty of football for the holidays. Plenty of football, but now shifting gears to baseball's offseason. Everyone wants to know one thing. Where is Shohei Otani going to sign? Any updates? I mean, I want to know that, too. This is turning into, like, LeBron James's decision 2010, where he kept everyone in suspense until finally announcing on national television he was headed to Miami. If Otani wants the biggest contract, everyone knows he would go to the New York Mets and owner Steve Cohen. Most people think he wants to go to a winning franchise on the West Coast. Most people think that's the LA Dodgers. I think wherever he goes, he's going to get a record contract somewhere in the half a billion dollar range, it seems. Quite a lot. Well, Dave, as always, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tiff. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.